Welcome back, folks, to episode 59 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. Uh, today, on the intro here, we got uh, Sheldon and myself. Sheldon's over in Brandon. I think he's uh, resting up from the weekend and getting prepped up for the next weekend. How's, uh, how's things going your way right now, Shelly? <clears throat> no, not too bad, actually. I'm, it's right, I am kind of resting up the weekend. The long weekend is a long one for me. Um, pretty tired when I got back from that one, but... Uh, I'm just kind of going through some more lists of uh, 10 days worth of elk hunting coming up here shortly. So I know a few things that I did forget, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there just for anybody that's listening to pack it. But a headlamp, I forgot my headlamp. I forgot something to um, like flip eggs, like a flipper thing, spatula. That's what n- normal people call it. <laughs> and um, and then today I was actually in in the basement getting some stuff ready. And I found this random bag from the weekend, like a like a reusable grocery bag. Yeah. And I like opened it up and there was a buff in there and there was my release. And I was just like, what the hell? Like I could have totally just not took my release with me. Oh so, man. There you go. A couple of things I gotta add onto my list. Yeah, I, I still got some sorting out of uh of some gear to do here for sure from, from the weekend. I uh after our our major like uh leaving all like lots of cooking stuff at home i uh i went to dollarama and just bought like everything i thought we needed not even just like what we're missing for the weekend i was just like we could use this we could use that we could use this we can use that and then that's all going into my kit and then it's just staying in like my my uh my camp kit that way it's there yeah and then where i where i kind of messed up is i kind of have like two grip boxes i have like a camp box and then i have a smaller uh, like a rubber made for ice fishing and so lots of my stuff was in that ice fishing grub box let's say and i never went and looked through it and so now i just got to kind of transfer some things and i should have everything um but yeah it was pretty tough you did some call it or what was that zucchini covered in uh catch and cook yeah on the weekend and we had nothing to pull it out of the oil with yeah yeah i was pulling it out with that uh that cleaver <laughs> yeah it's funny because it, it didn't even uh, didn't even look, dawn onto me until little, uh, until the the stuff was already in the fryer. I was like, man, I got nothing to pull this out of here with. <laughs> yeah, and I was flipping those little cutlets with a with a corkscrew <laughs> for wine. <laughs> Priorities. Priorities. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. But it was a, it was pretty good though. Like, but that that uh, pork ham shoulder thing that you brought, we cooked it on the pit barrel. That was freaking delicious, eh? Yeah, man. If we want to, uh, I think I'm going to cover the 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 uh, what's on the grill, what's on the tap, and what's on the on the record player for for us, both of us for this weekend. We had uh, we had a pretty good weekend in camp, and like you said, for the what's on the grill portion, man, we did up those uh, we did up that uh, wild boar shoulder roast, and uh, that was delicious, man. The thing I'm, I'm liking more and more about that pit barrel, and I had a really huge revelation today while, like, throughout the day, and my kids are going bonkers in the house, and I'm trying to do a bunch of stuff, and I'm just thinking, like, man, that pit barrel is so nice because you just, once it's set up and it's rolling, you don't have to do a thing to it pretty much besides, like, go out, have a peek, and check progress if you want. You know what I mean? So that, for example, that, that hog roast, we just put it on there, and then we went elk hunting for the evening and then pretty much came back for supper and it was ready. Yeah, that was super good. I guess the only other thing you can add on to your list of items would be 
uh, a temperature gauge for the meat. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's one forward. one thing I did want to bring out, and we did up some of uh, some of that elk uh, that elk meat also, and uh, made like almost elk sliders out of that. It was just un- unreal. Yeah, it was pretty pretty delicious. It was it was actually kind of funny because it was uh, from Hack. He, he got a an elk first day archery, and he, he so he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna bring a neck roast. And I'm like, okay, right on. And he ended up bringing like a bag of kind of like some scraps. And we're like, but it was like all oh, looks really awesome meat. And we're like, oh right on. So we kind of just cleaned it up a little bit and threw it in a pan with some some cider and some onions and stuff like that, and cooked it on the pit barrel for I don't know two two hours maybe. And then pulled them off and mixed it with some barbecue sauce and threw it on buns and yeah had that with some onions it was it was a really good meal for elk camp yeah it was pretty good man and I think uh, on the tap for us this this week I'm going to uh, toss it into the old uh, corkscrew division and say that that bottle of wine you brought out man just hit the spot I couldn't I haven't had any wine for for quite some time now and and uh, I used to enjoy the glass here and there and. It was it was pretty dandy, man, with uh with that pork roast for the evening. So on the tap that was a bottle yeah, of Sterling, that, right? Yeah, that's right. Got a little bit of history there with the old Sterling bottle, not gonna lie. <laughs> There's some history there. It's the it's a bottle that kind of frequents the the uh the atmosphere, I guess you can say, between us. Yeah. And the funny thing was is that you can fill up two red solo cups with one bottle. So after we had our first cup and you, you kinda of looked at me and you're like is there any more wine? And I'm like, no, that's it. <laughs> like, oh, well, that went down pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a good thing that's all that was there. And then, uh, yeah. on the record, we uh, are on the turntable. We went through pretty much every song we've ever listened to in camp there that one night with Hack. And uh, the one that sticks out most to me was when we were out scouting around, and he brought up sixteen chickens and a tambourine by Roy Acuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna comment on that because I don't even know what to say about that song. <laughs> Such an oldie, I guess. It, it's definitely not one I'll forget. I don't know if it's going on the top ten, but it's. Uh, it might be one I bust out at a party or something like that. But uh, we'll see. <laughs> Who's whose party? Your grandfather's? I don't know like, why. You know what? That just ran through my mind when I mentioned that. I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna be at a party next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, maybe maybe trophy night if we uh can put down an elk in the next few days yeah knock on wood could get lucky so we just uh we just spent uh the weekend in long weekend in elk camp there and uh no success it was pretty quiet pretty high pressure out there um compared to last time we were out and so this weekend we're going in i'm i'm going in for uh like a three and a half, four day tour. Sheldon's going in for ten, and then uh, we're meeting up again at the end of the week for next weekend. Uh, to, well, I'm I'm coming back into camp. Sheldon's just staying into camp, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can get on him. Yeah, that's right. Um, what else you been up to, man? Did you did you manage to get out for any whitetail at all? No, I got back um, when I got back there on the weekend. It was so damn windy out. I just I just couldn't see myself being comfortable sitting in a tree for that night so i actually just kind of uh, unpacked some of my stuff uh in nipo and then ate around till close to dark and and then toured my way back to brandon uh, just kind of scouting some spots that i know and checking them out for not only 
for whitetail, but for for bird season, that's opened up already. So not many two, not many birds right now in my area, but um, a lot of there's a lot of good spots that I've that I found that I know the birds will be uh, kind of in in that in that area for sure. They always are every year. So some couple good cornfields and a couple good pea fields I found. So should be a good year. Just kind of waiting on the birds to uh, to get here. Nice, nice. I know Tristan got out the other day and had a good, uh, real good hunt with our buddy Tim. They uh, got limits and geese and banged out a few ducks. And he's been uh, also had a couple sits in the deer stand without without any luck. So um, he's uh, got a newborn in the household, and uh, I think he's kind of taken advantage of a few extra moments that he has away from work and and getting out and in the field a little bit, which is cool. Cool to see. Yeah, for sure. And the funny thing, the one picture he sent, I think he put on Instagram too, sitting in the tree stand, like munching on peanuts, uh, the peanuts from Gorp. And I was just like laughing to myself. Like, I'm just like, he's just probably just sitting there, you know, like in in a way, probably just relaxing. And if he sees a deer great and if he doesn't, who cares? He's just sitting back having some peanuts and, you know, <laughs> watching nature like he'd be watching the game. But it's kind of cool. We get to... With Gorp, we're actually working with them for the month of September. So if you guys are looking for anything from from the Gorp um, product line, they've got a whole bunch of stuff. They've got a bunch of um, energy bars. They're uh, plant-based protein. Um, there's no no like additives or preservatives, so it doesn't give you like bloating or like that rot or anything like that. There's no junk in them. You've got to put yourself bars so you can actually mix it and make it at home and then package it the way you want it packaged if you want more or less. Um, and they also have like an oatmeal blend. So for your mornings, um, getting up to go elk hunting like we're going to do, uh, eating oatmeal is a good way to get your energy. And then, of course, the peanuts, which I've been eating watching hockey and Tristan's been eating uh, hunting in the tree stand. So yeah. if you guys want any of that stuff, go to their website. Um, it's www.gorpworld.com and use our promo code panoramic 20 for 20% off checkout. And some, some a cool thing that I uh, I found out the other day, I was kind of rooting around their site just checking stuff out, and and they got a lot of cool stuff going on there, and and uh, they have like a page of where you can buy their stuff locally also, and it's a massive list of stores throughout Manitoba that you can get their stuff too. So um, if if that's your jam, check that out too. Oh, that's cool! I didn't know that at all. That's yeah. cool. That's good information. Yeah, I actually couldn't believe how many uh, places were on that list. It's pretty neat. Well, do you want another little um, tidbit? Is on their bars, on every one of their bars, and I don't know about the other stuff, but their bars for sure, all their logos are stickers. So if you want to pull that off and put it on your bow case or whatever, that's what I did. Um, but yeah, they're Gorp stickers, so that's pretty cool. Nice. i seen our, uh, our buddy Jeff Martin there. He was using it as a as uh like a target for his bow i think he stuck it on a bale or on his uh his worn out um archery bag or something like that just so he had a spot to aim at so that's kind of cool too multi-purpose nice and if you guys i know we talked about the pit barrel already earlier and it just keeps on getting better and better with this thing um i feel like it's a a fine bottle of wine or something like that you can compare it to because it just everything just keeps getting better with the pit barrel i gotta say the more I know about it, the the more we use it, the better it gets. Um, so, like, nothing bad to say about this thing at all. Um, if you guys are looking for one, check out their website, pitbarrelcooker.com. 
and uh, they have free shipping in in the US and they also ship to Canada if you're looking to pick one up in store uh, check out Lux barbecue they also have a, a list of their dealers um, on their website that you can pick them up so Lux barbecues in Winnipeg if you're not in Manitoba there's other places you can get them across Canada so check those things out they have two styles the original pit barrel and the junior and uh, we've been kind of running with both of them and and just I don't know just awesome meals every time like I said no brainers for us yeah they're great units and then when we're at uh, camp there this past weekend with hack there and we're kind of sitting around we through on his uh, elk meat and we're just kind of sitting around having a beer and just I think I and he said a few things about it like he I don't think even him realized how easy this is and like how easy it is to set up and cook out of and blah 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 and I think he was pretty intrigued of maybe getting one himself um but yeah if you guys need any information on them or want you know any advice on them please just drop us a line on Instagram or Facebook or or email us go to our website get our email address and let us know we'll be more than happy to uh to give you a referral man hack isn't like it was in like the same spot I was a couple years ago or uh before we started cooking with charcoal with the pit barrel because I was like man it's too much work yada 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 and and uh we got it set up we got it rolling and hack was like that's it that's all you do <laughs> and yeah i think he was quite surprised with uh with like how easy it is to get going and uh just the product it puts out so that's super cool yeah for sure I, and i guess we should maybe mention who we have on the on the part on the podcast today um cassandra grand um you, you might have seen her episode on canadian whitetail with dean partridge uh, a couple weeks ago it just aired or just released or whatever so that's what we have coming up here shortly but uh just thought i'd give, give that a quick shout out before uh before we get too far into this intro <laughs> i have a cool little story that that could kind of tie tie this together a little bit somewhat i guess it's it's based about about whitetail and it, it happened to me um yesterday i guess so my dad or my grandpa man i was like growing up hearing stories about this massive buck that he shot right and didn't really think a whole bunch of it said he said he kind of took it to the taxidermist and then he didn't have the money to pick it up so he uh the taxidermist ended up selling it on him and all this jazz and and then uh this time goes by you kind of forget about that i was just a kid when he was telling that story and then my dad brings this envelope over the other day from the Manitoba Big Game Association from 1992. I think it was 92. It was their 25th anniversary. And uh, they had sent him a letter looking for either a photo of the deer or the actual mount itself. Excuse me. And uh, he d- didn't have either, obviously. Well, I, yeah. So I thought he didn't have either. So the letter says all this information on it. And... Uh, He'd shot this deer in 1957, and that's about all the letter said. So I called Teleskis, the people who were kind of associated with the Manitoba Big Game Association at the time, and uh, dug into it a little deeper and asked them if they still had it. And I said, I know this is a long shot, but you never know. And I, I had to call, right? So called. They didn't have it. No big surprise. But the uh, the lady there was super super helpful and she was almost just as intrigued in the story as i was and she ended up uh cracking open the mantle of a big game association uh trophy book 
and his name was in there for I think spot uh, 230 I think and uh, the 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 deer scored 173 and change and uh, yeah his name was in that book but it was that was the 50 year book but it wasn't the 25 year book. She looked she had the 25 at home oh, yeah. couldn't find us but uh, I don't know I just found that super cool so um, kind of puts a little bit of closure to the story for me. Yeah, for sure. That's super cool. But coming up to this episode, now we're talking about the largest northwestern non-typical free-range whitetail. Yeah, so it's a it's actually a really great story. We got to sit down and talk to her a little while ago, um, basically prior before or prior to the season, and kind of get the whole story of uh, how that all went down for her um, and how she got kind of started into hunting. And all that stuff. So it's actually a really great story, and I'm, I'm really happy to be able to release this uh, a little bit late. It would be nice to get it before the hunting season, but I think a lot of people will be able to relate to some of the things that she went through, and uh, you know, with the harvesting of that deer. Yeah, super cool story. I was I was very intrigued through all of it. She had me kind of captivated there, and uh, she's a really good, uh, really good storyteller. And I think folks are going to enjoy listening to this episode. So listen in. And uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy it. When you're recording. <clears throat> Rolling. So we're doing another remote podcast, and we've got a wicked guest today. You might see her on Wild TV on Canada Hunts as Canadian Huntress. She's an angler, an archery hunter, a gardener, and the 2019 largest non-typical whitetail by a female holder, Cassandra Grant. Thanks for coming on our show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, just to start off, uh, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, I say this pretty much every episode, but we got five burning questions for you. Chase, do you have any questions there lined up, or am I going to do all five of these? Um, I think you you got them all, buddy. <laughs> oh, here's all the right. goosebumps. The goosebumps are setting in. <laughs> <laughs> so the five burning questions, we do this with every, try to do it with every guest, and it's just going to kind of be um, random questions to try to get the audience to know you a little bit better before we get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast but the number one question uh, of the night is if you're on a deserted island and you had to take one person and two items with you uh, who are you taking and what are you taking one person and two items I'd have to take my daughter just because she's cool and would keep me entertained and the two items I would bring maybe an axe and a ghetto blaster nice (laughs) you can't be sad if you have music (laughs) that's right unless you run out of batteries Oh, there's solar panels, dude. Oh, there yeah. you go. Or maybe it's one of those, Thank like, uh, crank-up. Wind-up ones? Wind-up yeah. ones, yeah. I had one of those before. <laughs> they were good. Uh, question number two, you, you're a big gardener. You got you run a huge garden by the sounds of it. What's your favorite garden vegetable? Um, Cucumbers. I love garden cucumbers. They're delicious. And I also love pickles. So they're one and the same. Nice. Two for one. Are you – so – big pickle person or are you like when you say cucumbers are you thinking like cucumber sando or what's your your yeah. favorite thing about the like fresh garden veg um i honestly like sometimes i'll use cucumbers as chips instead of chips so like if i have a salsa or like um like a pico de gallo or something like that i'll use a cucumber just scoop it oh. with um i love toasted cucumber sandwiches all the mayonnaise all the salt and pepper those are delicious um Cucumbers on any kind of sandwich, everything. A cucumber um, salad with this like avocado dressing and onions. So good. Nice. Cucumbers. (laughs) (laughs) 
cucumber sandwiches compared to tomato like toasted tomato sandwiches are probably two of my favorite for sure absolutely um, they're so fresh and delicious yeah so juicy um do you know how question number three do you know how to play any instruments and if you don't what instrument would you love to learn to play um so i played a variety of instruments uh through elementary school and high school um the flute the handbells the oboe um the bass clarinet and the piccolo so if you could learn if you learn a new one what would you learn the guitar the acoustic yeah, well, I just, it's more versatile. And I mean, like, you're not going to have your friends over at a campfire and be like, hey, guys, want to listen to me play my flute? Bust out the oboe. Yeah, it's kind of awkward. So, I mean, if you can rip out a guitar, that'd be cool. Yeah, for sure. If you could travel anywhere in Canada, where would you go? And then you got to travel the world, where would you go? Oh, Canada. There's so many places that I haven't explored. And for the longest time, I always told myself that I wouldn't travel the world until I explored the beauty of my own country. Um, I have been coast to coast. I've been like to Newfoundland and BC and like pretty much everywhere in between, but I think I'd want to go North somewhere in the territories. Just super cool. And, you know, like completely different and less people and just the beauty of it. Like I watch it on TV all the time and I just, it's, I want to go so bad. Maybe I could do some hunting up there too. <laughs> um, and then anywhere in the world, um, Oh, gosh. You know, like my family um, came over from Germany. And although it's kind of not um, very pleasant to think about, but I think I'd like to go and see some some of German Germany's history up close and just kind of go see, you know, how everything was done during the war and how people live now and learn a little bit more about my roots. Yeah, Germany would be super cool. I know quite a few people have gone there and check things out and it's they said it's just it's a totally different uh you get a totally different idea of the past when you get over there and, and check some of the stuff out um my last question for the five burning questions you finally have some time off on a nice summer's day and you're sitting on the deck what do you enjoy for a drink and a snack while you're relaxing um i'm a big uh rum girl so i probably have like a rum and coke that's so simple but it's so delicious <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then a snack, like my go-to awful snack is like, this is going to sound so gross. You guys are going to judge me hard on this. Um, <laughs> Rolo chocolates with cool, ran like blue cool ranch Doritos. Like together in like one bite? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, can, I, I just can... like the salty and the chocolate. It just is good. I can see how that works. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I'm not even judging. I'm just jealous. <laughs> I, I also dip my French fries in vanilla ice cream. So. Pardon me. <laughs> I dip my. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh yeah, man, in that's... vanilla ice cream. It's good. Isn't that a thing though? Like, like, uh, isn't like Wendy's or Burger King or something have that where you like you got to get like a large fry and uh, a frosty or something like that? And you, I don't know. And you dip the fries in the frosty. I don't know. Where I grew up, there was this little store down the street called the Stop and Go, and we'd always go get soft ice cream there and then walk to McDonald's and get fries. Actually, actually, I, I might uh, hear about this one if I don't bring it up, but uh, my better half, Jody, often slides out the old cheat meal once in a while and uh, does um, a milkshake and french fries and uh, dips the fries into the shake. Yeah, she's probably like one of my long lost soul sisters. Totally <laughs> <into that>. <laughs> <laughs> well, right on. You made it through the five burning questions. I hope uh, 
hope they weren't as hard as sometimes they are for some people. They get they get kind of uh, tough to answer sometimes, but you did very very well. Um, so we're gonna jump right into the episode. We've been jumping into everything right off the bat here. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about that last thing I said in your intro that you're the 2019 largest non-typical whitetail harvester by a female. Um, and I could it's like to mouthful. talk to you. That is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. I gotta like I gotta read it off the page every time so I don't forget a word. Um, <laughs> but how'd you get started? Like you are you new to hunting? Where did this all start from? Yeah, so I'm super new to hunting. So the 2020 season will be my fourth season, but my third full season. Um, it started out, I got a bow, uh, I grew up on wild game. My dad was kind of just a hunter who went out and harvested a deer for food. He didn't hunt crazy and he didn't have trail cameras and he didn't care what the rack looked like. You know, he went out and brought home meat and that was, I mean, I had, um, four sisters and a brother that I grew up with. So we had a big, big household. So when I had my daughter, I decided that it was something that I wanted to do for her. And also I didn't really want to like dig into what was in our food at the grocery store. And I've seen some things and whatever. And I just like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to go get it myself. So I got a bow, went out bow hunting, uh, for like six days straight, (laughs) nothing. And then I told myself that I wasn't going home unless I brought something home to eat. So I stayed out there until I harvested a rough grouse with my bow. Nice. <laughs> um, the poundage was off. My arrows were way too long and my draw length wasn't set properly. <laughs> but I mean, I didn't even have a chance at a deer. But yeah, so I harvested a rough grouse and brought it home, cooked it up with some mushroom soup. And then after that, I was hooked. Um, I didn't stop until I figured out all of the things I needed to know and learn my equipment and kept going forward. And then um, I met a boy and he is actually um, filmed a lot. I know you had him as a guest here recently for Dean Partridge on Canadian Whitetail. Uh, He's filmed a lot of deer for him, but he also has like seven or eight mule deer over 200 inches. Wow. Yeah, like he's insane. Um, but yeah, so he's an avid archery hunter, and um, I guess that's kind of how we met was through the outdoors. And then he took me under his wing and showed me a lot, and I learned a lot from him. He's kind of one of those strong, silent types where he doesn't tell you a lot, so you got to have your eye open and just kind of <laughs> catch on to what he's doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm but gonna, it's obviously, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm just going to butt in for a second here and say, like, I still don't know probably half the stuff i need to know about archery hunting and i've been shooting a bow since i was like 12 so (laughs) like good on you for for getting in it and and going after it i mean there's still lots that i know nothing about and i don't pretend that i know anything because i'd i'd rather look stupid and not know than look stupid because i'm pretending i know (laughs) and also too then you miss the opportunity to learn right yeah exactly i uh yeah like Man, if if you look back to like, uh, we'll say even like a 16, 17 year old me who's been shooting bow for like probably five or six years. And I guarantee you anyone who knew anything about archery hunting would be like, wow, what is that kid doing? So (laughs) it's pretty funny, but we were having fun doing it. We always did. And that's the most important thing. I think like no matter what you do, my life mantra is kind of just like follow your joy. Yeah. Um, so when I released that very first arrow, it like it, me up. it was like the 4th of July. I was just like, whoa, that felt so good. 
It felt so good. And then I just chased that high. Nice. Um, what kind of bow are you shooting? Um, I currently have two at the moment. Um, I have a Bowtech Convergence and an Elite Valor. Sorry. I shot. What was the second the one? Guy with the bow an Elite Valor. An Elite, elite Valor? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I shot the big guy with the Bowtech. And I had just purchased it myself. I had a PSE um, kind of packaged deal that I got from Cabela's and that's what I was shooting before. And then when I seen that the deer that I harvested, I call him Hobo. Uh, when I see Hobo explode from the year before, I was like, this isn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Time <laughs> so to I step got it up. Something else. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know what? The PSE was loud and it, I don't know. It wasn't very accurate. Like it's a fast bow, but it was really loud. Like even when I went bear hunting with it in the spring, it was just so loud. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, it, it's funny how you kind of get to see all like, I don't know, you think you get a good bow and, and it, it works. And then you, you see like uh, a different bow that's maybe better or has some better features on it. And it's just like, so eye opening how, how different some of the bows are compared to one another which is kind of crazy in this day and age in my mind to think of like how these premium archery companies can have such a drastic change between them. Yeah. I mean, different companies go for different things. Um, you know, some want to be fast, some want to be quiet, some want to, I mean, there's just so many different things. I just know that it was super cool being able to build my own bow, like just get the bare bones and then add my own, my rest and my sight and do all that kind of stuff. That was really cool. Nice. Um, but yeah, so like as soon as I seen Hobo on those trail cameras, it was like do or die. I shot like 30 arrows a day from the day I seen him. What was the first card pull? Like July 13th, I think. I shot 30 arrows a day, and like I had to go buy more arrows. <laughs> Before we get into Hobo there, and Hobo is, I'm assuming, the 2019 largest non-typical whitetail by female. Yeah, so you got it all in one breath there. Um, before we get into that, um, so when you're starting to get into the to the hunting world or into archery, did you find it like tough in any ways, like just to learn or find resources or do any of that, or was did you find it kind of easy to find what you needed to learn to get going or to get started? Um, well, I'm a city girl. I have a few friends who hunt. They mostly hunt rifle, and I don't know. I, when I had when I first picked up my bow, I didn't know anyone that hunted archery at all. So I had a target, and I was shooting in my backyard in the city, and that's super illegal. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know anything. And then people were like, oh yeah, you can come out, and oh yeah, you can come out, and oh yeah, you can come out. And then it just like would never happen, or someone's wife or girlfriend wasn't okay with it, and then you kind of get turned down from that. So. I watched a lot of YouTube and would drive out just past city limits on a dirt road and shoot down the dirt road at the target and just kind of trial and error and get really frustrated and peeved off that something wasn't going right. And then um, I found a guy who worked at a small shop in Saskatoon that I could call and I was just like, hey man, I am not hitting the bullseye for the life of me. What do I do? <laughs> He's like, okay, do this, this, and this. I'm like, got it. And then I was sighted in and and going and it just I think it's though through that through that trial and error process that I learned a lot more about my equipment and as well my abilities um, 
but like I said, I'm still learning. Like on my new Elite Valor, I just got a a new um, CBE site and it has a bubble level on it and it has changed the hunting game for me. Like even just target practice, it is so, so much better. And also too, I'm just right now kind of teaching myself how to crick my bow with the bubble level to play the wind which is kind of cool. So I'm just kind of taking all that information in right now and trying to learn that so I can maybe shoot at some longer yardage. And it would be really cool to arrow an elk this year. I'm not going to pass up an elk just because I can't get a bow shot at it, but it would be cool to arrow an elk. Yeah. Man, I love the the, the persistence and the the passion that you've you kind of built on your own pretty much. Um, like hearing, hearing how you... You kind of took the bull by the horns here and just like went out, bought your bow, shot your bow, and some sort of fire ignited in you to just, like you said, go out and and uh, harvest your own your own meat to feed your family. And as I don't know, you don't really hear a story like that very much anymore. And it's it's uh, that's super cool. I love it. I know it just really <laughs> res- really resonates with me too. Uh, like Chase was saying, like getting out there and. Um, you know, providing for your family or doing what you need to do or go hunting. Um, like that's like the exact reason why we decided to start panoramic outdoors as a whole is to help people get outside and, you know, talk about these things and make it, I'm not saying that it's might've been not okay for you to talk to people, but what I'm trying to say is like, it's super okay to ask the questions and it doesn't matter. Like no one's going to judge you if you're, you know, first starting out tomorrow or started out like eight years ago. And just like Chase was saying, and I agree with him hundred percent is like, I don't know half the things I probably should know, you know, when it comes to archery hunting or hunting in general and, you know, creating a good community where we can ask each other these questions and talk about it is exactly why I wanted to get into panoramic outdoors. And yeah, the conversation so far is just, it's a plus in my books. Yeah, for sure. And it's really good to have outlets like that. Like, um, so I recently became part of a group called Canadian hunters and they're based out of Ontario for that exact same reason, but more female driven. Um, once I started getting into hunting and um, it became more of a regular thing in my life, I found that it was hard to uh, find women who did it, especially, I mean, like Saskatchewan has like, what, 1.1 million people in the entire province. And I'm pretty sure a lot of the people here kind of still have that old way of thinking where hunting's an old boys club. And, you know, a lot of women I talk to, I'm like, well, why don't you go hunting with him? Or why don't you go fishing with him? She's like, that's a, that's a man's thing. I'll set home things, you know? And I'm just like, oh, okay, like whatever. But it was really hard for me to find a woman that I could talk to about hunting, which was a little bit frustrating because, you know, I wanted to tell someone that in the morning I was scared to walk to my stand alone because it was pitch black or scared to walk back after dark because it was pitch black. And, you know, or I wanted to talk to someone and say like, you know, I harvested my first deer this year and it really was emotional for me like how did you cope with that yeah and And you don't really have those conversations with men (laughs) no no you're exactly right and like that's a huge thing too is we've talked about this in previous podcasts and we've also talked about trying to do a podcast episode like dedicated to in quotations mental health as in the fact that it's okay to be emotional it's okay to like tell your buddy like man like, you know, after you harvest a deer, harvest any animal, it's okay to, like, express your feelings. I've been, you know, you know, standing over harvests that I've done, and I was, like, in complete tears or in complete excitement, calling my buddies, calling Chase and being like, 
hey man i just shot this deer i can barely like breathe and just embracing mm-hmm. those moments with each other and it's fine it's totally fine you know but men have the or in my opinion some men just have this mentality that you got to be you know your your skin's got to be as thick as leather you can't show any emotion we're doing this just to feed our family and that's that's it or whatever it may be and it's just you know it's time to kind of change change attitudes i think uh going forward in, in the hunting community so that's really cool that you brought that up I think it's really cool to see um, how women, especially I would say in the last five years, have said like, we're coming into the hunting industry and now it's like, there's a point of no return. Like now, it's like now watch us before it was like, we're going to do this. And now it's now watch us. You know what I mean? Um, I think a really cool part about women kind of breaking through the old old boys club mentality of, of hunting. And it's not, not everyone's like that, but there definitely is some some of that still around is uh, they definitely bring a softer side to hunting. I mean, you know, part of harvesting an animal to me is connecting with mother, mother earth and with just nature as a whole and all of the animals. And if, if I can't stand over a harvest and be thankful for it and, and thank the animal and thank the earth that it, you know, provided for that animal, then, then what am I doing? Then I'm just killing, you know what I mean? And I'm not just killing. And I, I don't want you know, the meat that I put on my table to be tainted because I'm just killing. Do you know what I mean? For sure. Half half of the, like, I'm not going to say reason or, or what it may be, but like, I'll, I'll say half, like a lot of my enjoyment from, from getting out in the woods is just being able to be out there and enjoy everything that comes with it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for instance, this year, uh, I went out in, we'll say, I think it was August, early August to do some elk scouting and typically not a time of year that I'm in the woods going elk scouting just it's hot and and uh like really hot and it's just lots of bugs and I'm just usually pretty busy in the summer too but I mean excuse me um I have intentions of to to get out into the woods more and more and more and uh so drew an elk tag this year so I'm heading out scouting and set up some cameras and stuff and as we're cruising around like typically you see stuff in different seasons that you don't normally see so there's just like this crazy wildflower crop and like uh the area that we're in you could see like different mushroom varieties and stuff like that and um it was just neat to see that area in that time of year because usually we head over there leaves are falling everything's either dead or starting to die and it's just a totally different perspective on the landscape and uh i don't know that that's if I'm going into the woods, I certainly have intentions of harvesting something, but I'm also going to find a way to enjoy my time out there and just soak it all up if I can, I guess is what I'm for trying sure. to say. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, a, a, a bad day in the stand is better than a good day at work, right? So Absolutely. Right on. So we're going to keep on trucking here with this story. So you, you get hunting a little bit and you start putting in your reps and, and shooting arrows and then we've already referenced that deer once. What do you call him, Hobo? You seen him on? Okay, and <laughs> you've seen him on, <laughs> seen him on camera a few times. Um, how did that work out? Like, what did you learn, and like, how did you prep to to target this deer? Obviously, you decided to target once, target it once it uh, started to grow up a little bit bigger, and 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 what did you do to prep for that hunt? Um, there wasn't a lot that I didn't do from like full on visualizations, like sitting at red lights in the city. Like every time I had a second to close my eyes, I pictured myself 
putting an arrow through that deer. I pictured him coming in from every angle at every light possibility behind every tree. And I just, I mean, some of the biggest athletes in the world before their big race or before their big game, they visualize the outcome because that's what they're going to, that's what they want to achieve. So that I didn't take that lightly at all. I shot my bow as often as possible. Like I thought I was going to wreck it before I even got to go and arrow this deer. <laughs> um, and then patterning, patterning hobo with, um, trail cameras and we can bait here in Saskatchewan. So making sure the bait was topped up, making sure I had cameras at all the points uh, that I knew they were where he was coming in and off of. But I mean, I haven't been hunting that long, but I know that it's rare to have daytime pictures, especially of, uh, you know, a big mature buck. Um, but this deer like lived on top of my bait pile. I had pictures of him at 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., noon, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Like, I had pictures of him all day, every day, for months. And I was just like, if I can't harvest this deer who lives right here, I'm in trouble. Um, but, yeah, so it was just a matter of, you know, making sure the bait was topped up, um, making sure I knew the area, and making sure my – um, blind was in a good position and that was all set up and making sure my shooting lane was clear, making sure that I ranged my shooting lane a thousand times so that if he came in at any point between me and my max shot, I knew exactly what that distance was. So I could just put a pin on him and let go. Um, I also made sure that I looked at his antlers from every angle so that when he came in, I wouldn't have to look at them because <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to mess up my shot by getting sidetracked. So um, when he came in, actually, I just seen the tip of his main beam on his right side and it came through and I, as soon as I seen it, I just dropped my head, turned on my tacticam, uh, punched my partner in the leg, woke him up. He was having a nap. He turned <laughs> the, the camera on and I didn't look back up and I counted to, I think I counted to 10, give him time to come to the bait. And then I just kind of peeked over the blind and then I couldn't look at him. Cause you know, when you can feel someone staring at you. So I didn't want to give myself away because I just have this weird feeling like, don't stare at him. He'll feel you staring at him. So I didn't look at him. And then uh, I came to half draw and uh, he looked up at me, like right up at the blind. I don't know if he's seen me or what, but I was at a half draw and he was staring at me. And I was like, holy crap. And I pull 60 pounds. So it's not I'm just pulling back 45, but I'm at holding 60 pounds at half draw waiting for him to look away. And I, it was the craziest, but yeah. So for hunting prep, I honestly, if you can dream it up, I did it. I, <laughs> there was one point I wanted to go and print off like a full size picture of him at Staples and put it up on a hay bale. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go that far though. That's funny. Um, a couple of things I wanted to touch on before we get talking about that when it came out, which we just did too as well. But um, so for baiting, I know we, we don't do it here in Manitoba. You do it in Saskatchewan. Tell me one thing that you like to put in your bait that kind of might be your game changer for keeping a deer around. Well, I can't tell you that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> My... I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> peas. Peas is like when you want a deer to stay, you put peas in your bait. Oh, nice. Interesting. Makes sense. Deer love peas, so do geese and ducks. That's My right. second question yeah. about you getting started too, you mentioned a few things about putting your cameras on certain points. Um, I think there's a lot of rhyme and reason for putting out cameras in certain areas. What were some of the areas that you were kind of targeting? Was it trails or, or what were you targeting there with your trail cam? Uh, it was definitely trails just for the habitat that, um, that deer was living in. 
um, kind of through like a bushier area leading to some water and then coming out on the farmlands at night to feed. So originally when I first pulled the first card, I put out two baits, one close and then one really far away just because, um, it's good if you're baiting to have a couple baits because if you get one buck in that's pretty big, he'll kick other bucks off or um, vice versa. Or like one baits for the does and one baits for the bucks. And then if a big buck comes in, he'll kick another buck off. And you don't want him to leave. You want him to stay. You still want pictures of him. So it kind of gives them a place where they can move around. Whereas if you just have one bait, it's going to really limit the amount of animals that you see on your cameras uh, that are over your baits. So I had a couple of those out definitely on trails um, from different directions as well. I wanted to know where he was coming. Um, I'm not going to tell you why, but just because of the, the land that bordered where I was hunting, I wanted to know which direction he was coming from, where kind of where he was living. And it just, it opened up some more of the storyline about this animal to know where he was coming from. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think that's a one thing that a lot of hunt, hunters and stuff don't understand when it comes to archery hunting, how much prep and how much you got to educate yourself when it comes to, to deer hunting, especially if you're targeting one animal specifically. Um, but yeah, it's super interesting. But we kind of touched on it already. So he walks out, um, gave me some yardage there. Like he, you, you counted to 10. How far is he, is he standing away from you? Um, and tell me the next few moments before you let that arrow release. Um, so he was inside 25 yards. Honestly, I didn't have that ranged. I just knew he was inside my 25-yard point because <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to shoot a white tail inside 25 yards. Like, they are spooky AF, you know what I mean? Um, but he was just right on the inside of my 25-yard um, kind of marker that I had in the bush there. And I would say, like, from him walking in, and me drawing like from the first the, from the first moment I seen him to when I released my arrow couldn't have been more than 45 seconds total like I wasn't going to wait for you know the dreamboat shot or you know where he's perfectly quartered and his leg closest to use forward and whatever else like he was inside 25 yards he was a little bit facing the wrong direction um, after he looked up at me when I was at half draw, I, I panicked and I just held my breath and, uh, he looked back down like no tomorrow. Like he, I just swear he wasn't even looking at me. He just looked up in my direction. And then, so I came to full draw, he put his head back down and I let it fly. That bugger inside 25 yards still jumped my string. So he did no. like a big duck. Yeah. So he did a big duck and he put his head down like it scared him. And, uh, my arrow ended up pretty high. Um, so I, we were recording the hunt. So I was rewinding and rewinding and rewinding. The, the only thing I think that saved me on the shot was where my blind was. I had a height advantage. So I was shooting down into him. So even though he ducked, my arrow was still going down and not straight across. I think had it been going straight across, I would have shot over his back. Uh, but I went down into him. Yeah, it was intense, man. You have no idea. And I let him, I like waited an hour before I even got out of the blind to, to check. Like it was the worst hour of my life. And like one minute I was jacked. I was like, I got him. It felt good. That arrow flew so true. Like, you know, when you release an arrow and you're like, that's a bullseye. Yeah. Yeah. It just like everything about it was just so smooth. Your follow through was great. Everything just felt so like, ah, this was awesome. And then, then you watch the tape and you see where it hit and you see how he 
But I mean, after it, after it went into him, like he did a full, like four legged donkey kick and like his legs are up in the air and he was like six feet in there. And then he was out of the, out of the uh, frame. He couldn't see him, but like it hit him. That was no doubt. But I wasn't sure if it was too far back or too high or whatever. So it was the most emotional hour of my life. I went from crying because I was happy because I got him to crying because I had no idea if I got him or not. <laughs> that would be um, pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm not laughing um, at you at all because I remember oh, when no. I shot my, shot my first moose with my archery, like with my bow. Um, I had the exact same feeling. I went from, oh, fuck yeah, that was a great shot to... Oh man, I think I missed them, but I mean, ended up perfect for me. But it was it was so emotional. So I, I just, you just totally brought me back to that to myself, and yeah, that's that's crazy. So I guess something that I should mention too is that um, like hobo wasn't my first archery harvest, but it was my first um, whitetail archery harvest. So it was the that was the first whitetail deer that I'd ever put an arrow in. So I've. Wow. Um, got a mule deer, one mule deer before him, and uh, two bears. No, that's a lie. One mule deer and one bear. That's it. Because then I got my second mule deer and my second bear after him. But yeah, so that was my very first whitetail that I had ever arrowed ever. But um, yeah, so I waited an hour before I went down, and then I seen right on the impact site this beautiful red bubbly blood oh. <laughs> I was like I got a lung <laughs> but then you know but then comes did I get one or did I get two right because a deer can go especially a healthy deer can go a long way on one lung the old one longer that's uh oh, one longer <laughs> that's a tough one um I certainly feel the uh the the emotion in that story and man my uh heart rate was getting up just listening to you tell the tell the tale there and just trying to put myself in that blind and having that that uh size of a whitetail come out i know i've uh i've biffed shots in uh in archery season on uh small five by fives coming out knowing that it'd be the probably the biggest buck i've harvested with my bow so how did was there anything that you did to like obviously you did lots of mental prep coming up to the day but like was there anything in particular that that you would like focus on to say this is how i got to keep my shit together when, when I see him and this is going to save my ass when, when I'm out there, or is there like, was it just all like muscle memory for you? Um, yeah, like I, I feel like it was all muscle memory from the vis- visualization. Like <laughs> my friends are making fun of me because I must've looked like a quack. Like I honestly though, when I say like I stopped at red lights and I shut my eyes, I would physically pretend that I was drawing a bow back and watch hobo walk in from any particular angle at that given moment and like release sitting in my car at a red light because I I wanted when I first started doing that I could feel my heart rate rise just picturing him walking in and that's no good and then so as I did it more often like I would do it three or four times like from three or four different scenarios before I went to bed each night and that's like from uh, July to September 15th, right? So that's a good chunk of time. But I mean, every night I, I wanted to get this day. I wanted to hunt this deer. I wanted to harvest this deer. Um, I wanted to make a statement and the hobo definitely makes a statement. So I think it was muscle memory. When he came in, it was like I had seen him a thousand times. It was like I'd, I'd pictured that exact moment a thousand times. So it became, like you said, like muscle memory. It was just 
second nature to just draw my bow back, let him come in, take my breath, relax, you know, hold it on the on, on my spot, pick my spot right behind the shoulder, you know, and then release. And it, it felt like after I released that I had been holding my breath for like an hour and that I was blue in the face and I was like gasping for air, like <gasps> <laughs> after, but like my whole body was calm. I didn't shake at all until after I released the arrow. And like, let me tell you, on my very first whitetail, I couldn't get out of the blind to go and check for blood because I was shaking so bad. I like, I tried to get up three times and fell because I was shaking so bad. <laughs> so like, I know what the shakes feel like, but with Hobo, I didn't shake at all until after I released the arrow. And then it was just like crying, laughing, tears of extreme, crazy emotion, all flooding in at the same time and oxygen because I was holding my breath. But <laughs> <laughs> This is, I, man, I just got to say it again. This is such an incredible story. And like uh, your journey, although it's, say it's only been over four years, sounds like it's just been like some hunters don't do that in like 10 years of their of their career like or their hunting um journey like harvesting a mealy harvesting a bear and this massive white tail and now you got an elk tag and it's just amazing and i and i, I gotta say like it's all got to be paying off for you from like the amount of work that you put in clearly it's just like you've you've divin dove like straight into this right into the deep end and you're just like give it all to me and like just sounds like you're taking on every opportunity that you have and just putting all your effort into it and uh i just think this is so so cool well i mean after i started to become more involved in the hunting community whether it be just at like my local wildlife federation or um even just talking to like a girl like some random girl who adds me on um Instagram or something like, you know, like she'll ask me a question about her bow and I'll say like, you know, I don't really know, but let's look at this together. Let's find you an answer or whatever. Just the community that I have um, now created around me. It, it just feels so good. And, and it's not just for me. It's something it now encompasses my daughter and my daughter. If she can come with me, she's with me. She's on the quad coming, dating with me. She's pulling cards. Like I taught her how to pull cards now. So she knows what turn the camera off first and then take the card out make sure you put the card in your mouth that's full and then you put the other one in and then the full card goes in the full bag like she knows all of it she's five but she loves it and, and I'm like hey Scarlett like, what do you want to do tomorrow she's like can we shoot our bows I'm like absolutely I'm like, do you want to go to the beach she's like can we shoot our bows first I'm like absolutely <laughs> and you know but it's just like the sense of community that's come up with hunting like hunting when I when my dad used to bring home a deer my favorite part about it was that all of our neighbors would come over and, you know, we would skin the deer out and it'd be hanging. And then when it was time to process it again, all the neighbors would come over and the kids would come over and we were grinding all the meat for sausage and we're making jerky and we're making burgers. And then when it comes time to eat all of that meat, all the neighbors come over again. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like in an age where we're so okay with talking to people and having relationships through a screen, hunting really connects you not only to nature, but to people again. Like, um, I had probably like 400 pounds of meat to process and like my parents came out and my nieces and nephews were here. And like for an entire day, we ground meat and put it into casings like for a whole day. And that didn't even include like the smoking and packaging afterwards. But 
it was just such a good time. You know, you have the music on and you're having a couple of drinks and people are singing and dancing in the kitchen and everyone's hands are covered in meat and blood and the house smells delicious. And, you know, and so hunting, it's just, it's so much more now than wanting to be able to provide meat for my daughter. It just, it's growing as an individual woman. It's growing as a mother. It's uh, opportunities to teach my daughter life lessons that otherwise would never be brought up, whether it's about uh, nature itself or um, internal lessons like, you know, why we push ourselves or, or why we go out and do this even when we're tired or why we go out and do this even when, you know, we feel like giving up. Right. And it's just the coolest thing. So this is, this is like become not just like, okay, I'm going to go get some meat for the freezer. It's become an entire uh, your entire lifestyle and your kind of what your life now I'm assuming revolves around, right? Absolutely. Amazing. That is super cool. I'm, I'm just like sitting here just in a trance, just listening to the story, <laughs> like how it's unfolding. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Um, but I still want to get on to, so you, you get the, you shoot your arrow, you're waiting an hour, you've cried now, you've laughed, you, you're excited, you're down, you go out, you see this little bubbly blood what happens next you guys decide to go and start tracking it and and tell me about how that all went down i might cry during this part of the story (laughs) 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 to be completely honest so um i waited an hour for hobo to expire and i came down and right away i seen that big frothy red blood with all the bubbles in it i wanted to see but about i can't remember the yardage about 15 yards behind the point of impact was half my arrow and it I was kind of discouraged right away because I either wanted the arrow to stay in him and uh, you know kind of create more trauma and more damage um, to help expire the animal or to pass through him completely Um, but anyways it was what it was and there was half an arrow there so following the blood trail it was bright it was good I mean keep in mind it's September so I'm not hunting over snow where you just get this beautiful red blood trail following you to your pot of gold at the end but um, the leaves were changing colors. There was little brown and red specks on all of the wild grass, and following blood was not easy. Um, I had followed it about 80 yards, and that was it. I couldn't find anymore. It was like it just disappeared. So I took an arrow out of my quiver, and I put it in the ground at last blood, and I kind of fanned out from there. I mean, at one point, I think I even went backwards. Like, maybe he turned around or went the other way. I don't know. <laughs> but... I was I was starting to get discouraged and I just kept going back to my arrow and starting from the last blood and back 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 and it was I was going crazy. I was literally starting to drive myself crazy. So I just I took a deep breath and I said, like, this isn't it. Like don't give up. And I got down on my hands and knees at that arrow and I combed through every blade of grass until I found one pin drop. And when I say pin drop, I mean a pin drop. Like if you took an end of a pencil and made a little tiny drop blood on a blade of grass that's what I found and you know for another hundred yards on my hands and knees or crouching uh, like in a squatting position just combing like literally with my hands combing through the grass trying to find these blood drops and every once in a while you'd get a bigger blood drop and it kind of give you like a little bit of direction uh, directional um, point of view so you could kind of see which way the deer was going by how it splattered and that and a while I did, I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And that's, I was just going off these little tiny drops. And then I don't know what happened if he, if Hobo tried to jump a bush or if he, 
I don't know if I stirred him up or something, but he must have exerted himself in some way. And there's just this big blow of red blood across a bush. And then at that point, I was saying to myself, like, did I push him up? Did I only get one lung? Was he trying to bed down? Am I am I pushing him back? Like, what is like, what do I do? And so I had a little internal battle with myself. Like, what do I, what do I do now? Like, this can't be it. This can't be. I, I can't stop. So I, I just kept going. I just found some more blood, pin drop after pin drop. And when I when I arrowed hobo, it was bright out. It was like I want to say six o'clock or six thirty or something like that in September, September nineteenth, and. It was bright, and at this point now it's getting dark, and I have my headlamp on and my cell phone light, and my cell phone's going to die soon, and my headlamp is crap. And so I, I didn't know what to do, and I, I just said, like, I'm not going to – I can't quit here. And I don't know if it was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, but I kept going. And I got to these, like, little spruce bushes, and at this point I don't know how many hundreds of yards away I am from where I arrowed Hobo, but I just found this – one spot of blood and it was a pretty big one like bigger than I had seen for most of the trail except for when it sprayed on a bush there but then some blood went to the side and there was some on the ground but it was not in the direction that he was traveling mainly from before and I just thought it was weird that after all of this time all of a sudden it just like it was a hard left and I was like what like I don't get this like what is going on and my partner at the time, he's like, you know what, like, let's, we're done. Like, it's dark out. Like, we should go. And I was like, no, like, please don't give up on me. Please, 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 like, please keep looking. Please don't go, like, don't give up. And you could see him kind of, like, kicking around the grass. Like, I've walked this spot 100 times. Sandra, I'm not going to see anything this, you know, the, the 300th time. And I just kept saying to him, like, don't give up on me yet. Like, don't give up. Like, let's keep looking. Like, make sure you're looking good. Like, let, let's keep looking. Let's keep looking. And finally, after a few texts with some self-service that I did have there and some convincing from my partner I was you know we should quit and if I was pushing him I didn't want to push him all the way back any further than I already have and um it was dark out you don't want to make a mistake and and you don't want I don't know if I got one lung or if I got two lungs I just know I got a lung some lung part of a lung nick of a lung I don't know so after some conversation I was I was convinced to stop and then I, I wanted to stay there. I wanted to spend the night. I was like, I am not having a coyote chew this deer's nose off or his ass or nothing. Like if I stay here, maybe the coyotes will lead me straight to him. Like I'm going to stay. We're staying. It's September. I tried to convince my partner to spend the night. He was having none of it, none of it at all. So finally we went home. Um, right when I arrow the deer, we called my buddy Chad Morris and we let him know that we got an arrow in him. And he said, I'm on my way. I don't care if it's for a skinning party or for a search party. He said, whatever, I'm coming. So he drove six hours. So he was home, I guess, like, or he was at our place a couple hours after we had gotten back. And I, it was the worst night of my life. I mean, it was kind of like how it was when I was in the blind. It was one moment I was sure as hell of that arrow and I knew that I got him I could just feel it and then the next moment it was I had no idea and I felt completely defeated I mean the drive home from that spot that night was completely emotionless like I was numb I couldn't think I didn't feel sad or angry or excited or mad or anything I was just numb like I just didn't think anything I couldn't feel anything and it was it was the most wild night of my life <laughs> like I needed some emotional recovery after that, like from arrowing him to not finding him and to go home empty handed. Like, I mean, I'm a new hunter. That's never happened to me before, ever. 
never mind with the biggest year of my that I'll probably ever see in my entire life. You know, so it was the toll that like leaving an animal overnight takes on the psyche of of a hunter is just insane. I can't imagine doing it on a on a buck that size either. So that's pretty crazy. Um, but continue with the uh, with the story here. I'm I, I'm dying to hear what happens next. Um, so we get home. We have a couple beers, and I mean, between my partner and Chad, like these guys have had to do it a hundred times. I'm sure they every kind of thing you can experience in the hunting world. They've experienced. They're veterans. They've been hunting since they were like or out hunting or doing hunting related things since they were children, like since before they could, I don't know, ride a two wheeler. So they're kind of laughing and sitting back and they're also being very encouraging. Like, you know, don't sweat it. It'll be fine. We'll go out and find them tomorrow. Like relax, <laughs> blow it off. And I'm sitting over here, like having a panic attack. I'm like, you guys, what if we don't find him? You know, I felt good. It was good. I think it's good. You know, like it felt good. And I just kept replaying that like the shot felt good. I got him. And then the next second would be like, ah, oh, I didn't get him. There wasn't enough blood or my shot was high. He jumped my string, you know, and it was just all the scenarios and all the things that could happen that I have no control over just kept playing through my mind. And then whatever, we had a few more beers and the guys passed out. And I think I maybe slept for 45 minutes and I don't even know if it was like fully asleep. And then I woke up in the morning and the sun was rising and I'm trying to wake these guys up. I'm like, Hey guys, coffee's made. Like, bacon and eggs on the table like get in the truck we're leaving and they're like oh relax we'll get there like no big deal <laughs> like holy shit you guys get your asses out of bed right goddamn now get in the freaking truck we're going then <laughs> they just dilly daddled all morning like they were so calm about it and i was just like no <laughs> like the raging like turning into the hulk like get in the truck um but not yeah, anyways, they were just laughing at me and we had coffee and breakfast and, and took off. And at this point, I think I called my dad. I called him the night before because my daughter um, was at my parents' house and I hadn't seen her all week. Like So the season opened on a Sunday, the 15th, um, and it's now the 20th. So I shot him on the 19th and we're going out the 20th to look for him. And I hadn't seen my daughter, so I said to my dad, like, hey, dad. I'd really like you to be here. I really want you to be a part of this. I mean, that would mean a lot to me. And can you bring my daughter with you too? And he's like, yeah, like they were on their way. So they came out, met us back at the farm when we came back. But anyway, so we, we drive back out. And um, as we're driving in, we're kind of paying attention to the area. And um, my partner sees some magpies kind of off and some crows kind of all fly out of this one spot, which is usually a sign when you're looking for dead stuff. Um, and I left a hat and a glove as two markers, one for where to turn left. And then the other one where the last blood was. And we all kind of started from there. So my partner went off to where he's seen the magpies and I showed Chad where the last blood was. And he kind of went from there and to be completely honest, I kind of just stood there like an idiot. Like I just stood at the last blood and I hadn't seen any of this bush in daylight right because by the time I got to where I seen that last but it was pitch black so I kind of just stood there like damned if I do and damned if I don't you know like I, I didn't want to move I just <laughs> I just wanted to be right in front of me <laughs> and then so I kind of zoned out and um I was just staring at the grass like zoned out in complete like numb just like I want to find this deer but being paralyzed I guess not numb paralyzed was more of the word and then I heard Chad to my right and he goes there's some blood here and then he just kept going. 
And I was like, what? I didn't see that yesterday. I walked this a hundred times. <laughs> so whatever, I went over there and I kind of started combing around like I did before on my hands and knees from this new blood that Chad found. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to follow this blood in the same direction that I was following all the other blood and see what happens. And I shit you not, like 15 paces in front of where Chad found this new blood, which was probably 15 paces from where I finished looking the night before. Hobo was laying right there. Oh, man. Wow. I shit you not. <laughs> I shit you not. So so I, I get up to him and I can see him laying there. And I didn't walk all the way up to him. I stopped and I yelled Chad as loud as I could because my partner was way off around the corner at the time. I had no idea where he was. And then I yelled Chad. And he's like, what? And I looked at him and I was like, Chad. And he's like, no way. I know. I just like, I'm bawling at this point. Like when I say bawling, I mean the ugliest, ugly cry <laughs> a girl could do. Like I am bawling. I, I'm trying to see through my eyeballs and I can't because they're just water pouring out of them. So I start yelling for my partner and um, Chad starts yelling for him and we're waiting for him. And I, he's helped me through my whole hunt. Like it was my hunt. I called the shots and I did it all. Decided when I was sitting, what wind I was sitting, when we were baiting, but he was there through all of it he's taught me so much about hunting so i felt like at that moment you know we need to walk up to it together and so i waited and it felt like it took him like a million years to come around the corner and then finally we did and he was right there and, and i think like it even brought me to my knees a couple times while i was standing there waiting for my partner to come back around the corner like i was just so overtaken with emotion that and he was right fucking there man like literally right there like if i had just said you know screw this I'm just going to keep walking straight, even though I can't see any blood and walk straight, like maybe another 30 yards. I would have, I would have walked right on top of him. And man, I feel like I have so much to say about this story and it's just took me on a roller coaster here and, and remind me of some of like the similar situations that I've been in, 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 uh, hunting and, and everything. And, uh, first off, big shout out to, to Chad Morris and your partner for being, uh, like grade a hunting partners mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's amazing and uh i i guess like my greatest takeaway from from this story is like things didn't go exactly how you envisioned them going and there was certainly a bit of like a bump in the road for you here and i i can almost guarantee you in every high pressure situation now when you hit the woods you're going to have a flashback to this moment when you draw that bow back or put your crosshairs on a beautiful elk or whatever it may be. And it's just going to be like, get you that much more zoned in and just dialed in for just making that perfect shot because of the, because of the, I guess you can say emotional trauma that you went through while you were <laughs> <laughs> waiting to head back out to the field. <laughs> I mean, for sure. Definitely. And like, you know, a lot of people say after you shoot a deer of that caliber, like, oh, you're ruined now. Or what are you going to do next? You know what I mean? And and I don't know why they why they say stuff like that. Like, why are you denying a hunter of another experience or making them feel like they shouldn't have another experience like that or feel the same way they feel they felt about that big deer about, you know, maybe a beautiful four by four. You know, like why, why make them feel less proud of another harvest? And, and so this year I'm a little nervous <laughs> because of 
you know, comments and kind of stigmas like, well, what do you do after you shoot something like that? Well, I still want to put meat on the table. I yeah. still love hunting and there's still so much I want to do and I'm, I'm learning still. So there's still lots I have to learn and lots of mistakes I have to make. And so I, I want to go make all of them. I want to go make all of the mistakes and I want to figure it all out. And I want to be able to, you know, teach my daughter and teach the next generation. Yeah. So although I am a little reserved about, you know, the emotional trauma coming back the next time I draw my bow on an animal, cause I'm worried about it. So that's For funny sure. that you said that, but you know, as nervous as I am about all of that, I'm just, I can't wait to get back out there. Cause it now hunting is fully who I am. Like I found my thing, yeah. you know, and it just, it just makes sense that I hunt. That's amazing. I think, uh, my thoughts on the whole, um, now you've been ruined for the rest of your hunting career kind of thing by <laughs> shooting a monster buck and and i'm guilty of saying that too because more in a jokingly matter not definitely not in a serious matter but like um definitely a joking matter but the thing is with hunting is like there are no guarantees and um obviously the harder the work the more successful you are but there's always going to be days where like you can go out next fall and you might not see uh a buck that you even compare to like something uh to be like a mature buck maybe and and like there's there's going to be struggles coming across your adventures here and it's not like that anticipation still builds up and then when a moment comes where there is like okay i'm going to take this deer it's still exciting and it still keeps that fire burning right oh for sure and you know what it I, I mean, even the jokingly stuff, you kind of think to yourself like, oh, like, but what, what, what am I going to shoot next year? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And I mean, and anyone in any walk of life with any hobby or passion or goal, there's going to be somebody out there who has something to say. So, you know, what if I go out this year and, and shoot a 150 class mature old white tail buck? Someone's going to say something like, oh, it was nothing like last year. I knew she couldn't do it twice in a row and whatever else. But at the same time, I mean, do I have an expectation that I shoot a deer like Hobo every year? Absolutely not. That's not realistic. Do I think that, do I feel like I'm going to strive to shoot another buck like Hobo in my life? Abso-fucking-lutely. Do people <laughs> get struck by lightning twice? Yep, it happens. Am I going to go out there and strive for the rest of my life to, to shoot another buck like Hobo? Absolutely. Am I going to? Well, the reality of it is probably not. But I'm going to go out there and hunt every buck like it was Hobo whether it's 246 inches or 150 inches. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, for sure. The feeling in the hunt is, is not going to change for me. Yeah. And circling back to that thing, like the whole, like, oh, you'll never do it again kind of idea. I know I'm guilty of it. Of, of, I know a couple of my buddies that have uh, harvested some really nice bucks, and I'm like on their first, not saying their first time hunting, but let's say the first few years of hunting, and I'm like, oh, man, I always, I kind of think it like that, man, that's hard to beat. Because like in my mind, I look at that deer and like, that's a lifetime, you know, deer for me, you know, and I, and I love that attitude. It's like, even if it's 200 plus inches or, or 130 or whatever it may be, it's, it's still the goal of, um, putting in the work to, to make the shot ethically, um, to, to retrieving your game and then circling right back to you talking about the process, you know, processing the, the meat and being with family and friends. Those are the things that really is like goals, right? And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's super interesting how you kind of put all that in perspective. Um, you're standing over this deer now with with two of your or with a friend and a hunting partner or both hunting partners. You're in tears. You can't really see. 
How many times did you lift up that deer and look at the antlers in person holding them? Um, so I'm going to be completely honest. It smelled so bad. So while I was, I mean, it was pretty bloated from being left overnight and it was September, so it's not cold out. Right. So the very first time that I lifted up his antlers, I'm puked all over it because it just, all the air came gushing out of the hole <laughs> in the wound. <laughs> and I'm like crying. So I'm like kind of hyperventilating. So I'm taking these really deep breaths. So like I picked up his rack and like went to turn it and I was just like, holy, <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. And then I, at that point, I didn't know if my eyes were watering because it smelled so bad or if my eyes were still watering because I was crying. <laughs> And then so there was like some laughing and some tears and then, you know, some like happy, sad crying and then like just really happy, excited crying. There's just lots of crying. I'm a crier. I'm not scared to admit it. I cry about everything. Um, but yeah, so I just, I couldn't stop touching him. I couldn't stop picking him up and I couldn't stop just inspecting every inch of him. And, you know, every inch that I thought, and it was cool to see some things up close that, you know, that you couldn't really see in the trail cam pictures or, um, he still had some velvet left on some of his drops and, um, on the one side where he's all kind of webbed and there's just like a crazy amount of like of stickers and flyers. Like he had a whole bunch of velvet still in there. And, um, it was just, it was unreal. It was just the coolest thing in the world to, to come to that point. And this is where I get emotional still, but like I picked up his rack and the breeze was coming off the field into my face. And it was nice, cool September morning. And all of that work that I put into harvesting that deer just came to a close. And, man, it was the best feeling I've ever felt in my whole life. And that, like, that is why I love to hunt. And it and I it could be hobo at, at that world record uh, status. Or it could be, you know, my first deer. And I hope it still feels the same for my last deer because that feeling is unlike any feeling in the entire world. And that is why I hunt. And I, you know, I was kind of thinking to myself before I got on the call with you guys, I'm like, what if they asked me why I love hunting? Because I can't explain why I love hunting. Like, oh, you know, it's fun. I get to hang out with my buds, I like shooting stuff, you know, it's cool. <laughs> because, <laughs> because that's not why I love hunting. I, I love hunting for so much more for this entire conversation. Everything that I've said is why I love hunting and oh, more yeah. and so much more. Yeah. Uh, thanks for just about making me cry. Someone's <laughs> cutting onions. Someone's cutting onions here at my house. Um, so I am looking at a photo of this deer right now, and uh, for all the listeners that are tuning into this right now, like it's just one of the most magnificent racks that I've ever seen. There's four drop time times coming off this thing. Seven. Seven in total. Yeah. Yeah, there's seven in total. Like if you look on the one side with the longest drop, there's two more that kind of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. laid out yeah. from the front. So there's right the front four there. right there, five, six, and then there's one on the back side. No of kidding. The other side. Crazy. And I'm looking, at, I can see a bit of a blood spot on, on the animal. And in my mind, I'm like, that shot doesn't look that bad at all. Well, I mean, in some of the pictures, it looks like I shot him in the spine just because how how he's laying and like when the hide gets kind of twisted up on him from dragging him for pictures and stuff like right, that. Right. And there has been people commenting on some of the posts, you know, like, uh, what kind of shot is that and whatever else. But, but I mean, I know where I shot him. It's going to be like the footage is coming out next week on wild TV. So you can watch it yourself. Nice. <laughs> it's all there. But, uh, but yeah, it was, I mean, I want to hunt ethically. I don't want to let anything suffer. And that, I think that's why leaving that deer overnight was, you know, one of the reasons why it was so hard. Yeah. 
we we've we spoke on the podcast about you know the naysayers and the people on social media that just love to start shit and call people mm-hmm. out on on stuff they have no information about and like from the story you told me or told us here and it just like there's no doubt in my mind that like all the pieces were in place that could be in place and there was absolutely nothing more that you could have done to to make a better shot right and let's face it there's yeah. there's a lot of variables in play when you're tossing an arrow down range and it's it's sometimes it's it doesn't work out for people and sometimes yeah. it plays out perfectly and if like any experienced hunter can speak to that and if there's somebody out there saying that 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 is calling you out on that or whatever then they don't know shit <laughs> in my mind so you know what i mean amen yeah for sure one thing i forgot to tell you guys that you guys will probably think is pretty cool um or not cool i guess depending on how you look at it um so opening day was sunday the 15th monday the 16th i didn't hunt um the wind was wrong sunday so i sat morning and night and in the morning i pushed all the deer off so I didn't sit Monday. I let the bait cool. Um, I got called back into work because at this point I was working for uh, an egg dealer, and it's our busy season. So I made a deal with my manager that I would hunt. I would leave work at two o'clock so I could hunt the evening. So come back Tuesday, sit. Got huffed out by a doe. Nothing. What is that? 15, 16, 17, 18th. Pull up, park where I usually park. Spray myself down with scent killer. Filming my intro. Uh, go to spray my partner down. He turns and says, get his back. He looks up on the other side, uh, like about 80 yards away from me, there's Hobo standing there in the field staring at me, 80 oh, yards man. away from my truck. Wow. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and I and I just I dropped to my knees, and I, I like instinctually I tried to hide behind the bumper of the truck. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, shit, there he is. <laughs> so I kind of like ducked down behind the truck, like, oh, God, he's right there. And then... um. I just looked up at him and I mean, if it was muzzleloader season, it would have been done. It would have been a done deal, but I wasn't shooting uphill at 80 yards with my bow, <laughs> but I still sat that day, but it was the next day that hobo came in on the 19th there. But yeah, so that was pretty nerve wracking. That just adds to everything. Right? Just, so yeah. I did get to see him. Just yeah, a little cherry on up. top to the journey here, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wild ride. You guys, like it was, it was wild. And I mean, to, I guess to shed a little bit more light on why it was, I mean, besides obvious reasons that, you know, but putting meat in the freezer and harvesting such a trophy, um, it was also more of a personal feat too. Like I had to fight with my partner, um, to sit that spot for that deer. Like he had a target buck. He was after the year before for a couple of years before, um, in a different location. And I had a hobo on my sites from the year before, um, but he come in during the rut, all busted up, and he was a next year buck at that point. And then when we seen what he was, it was all of a sudden, well, we're going to set up two stands, and I'm going to hunt this part, and you're going to hunt that part. And, you know, if you have to work, I'll, I'll call someone else, and, and we'll hunt hunt it. And it, it just came down to, like, well, that's funny, because that was never what you were going to do with your target buck. Do you know what I mean? Woo! So it was Yeah, it was it, it was – there was a lot of high tension in the household. Um but I mean, I can also see where he's coming from too. Like he's dedicated his life to hunting, his his whole life. Like he didn't just start hunting in, at 29 and decide that's what he was going to do. He's been hunting for 29 years, 
or such, you know? So like he's dedicated his entire life. So to see a deer of that caliber and he's mastered mule deers, like his mule deers are insane. So to, to get a buck, like a whitetail of that caliber would, would add to his hunting career. So I, I, I could totally see where he was coming from. Not only that, but he's taught me everything I know. So it was really hard for me to stand my ground and say like, no, this is how it was last year. And this is how it's going to be this year, you know? to really put my foot down and stick up for myself and say like, I also get a chance at this and this one's mine. Yeah. Um, it, it took a lot and you know, we came down to it and there was a lot of choice words used at some points and you know, some feelings were hurt and we figured it out and made up over it. And he ended up getting a Boone and Crockett whitetail um, later that fall or that winter, I guess this same season. So we got his and her bucks for 2019 and it all ended up being a great year, but there was a lot. There was a lot of battles with hobo, with the animal itself, um, internally with myself and externally as well. But the fact that I get to, you know, kick my feet up on the coffee table every morning and just enjoy a coffee with hobo is so cool. And that deer represents so much more to me than just a rack, you know. Absolutely. This is man. It just like keeps going. The story here. It is unbelievable <laughs> how 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 all these parts played in and and that like just everything involved here is just crazy yeah and it's so and it's totally okay to to be mad at each other i know um in my experience hunting partners etc i've been in just about yelling matches with people about what we should be doing and i mean uh chase and i kind of ran into the same thing elk hunting a couple years ago with Bo. like we're everybody has their own idea and their own instinct and where to go and then something doesn't really work out and you're like damn it why didn't we do it the way you wanted to do it or why didn't we do it my way or whatever you know and it and and it just goes back and forth so and that's like part of the it's part of like the story right and it's part of the it's part of the hunt like it, nobody knows exactly what the animal's going to do nobody knows exactly anything exactly and it's all about just doing what you what you think is best and yeah that's super cool i, I really enjoyed that story um now that you have this deer you said you have it mounted what what again did it did it score out to uh, so for Pope and Young, it scores 233 and two eights. And for the non-typical Northwestern free-range whitetail for SCI is 246 and two eights. Wow. That's insane. And that's, so what, what's the what's the biggest difference there between the, the two scoring systems? Do you know offhand? Yeah. So SCI goes by gross. Uh, wait, is that the opposite? This is why I'm not an accountant. <laughs> SCI, goes, <laughs> SCI goes off total inches. Um, whereas Pope and Young deducts any, um, like non symmetry or right, the, the securities, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, like when you look at Hobo, like his typical frame is only like 159 inches. Yeah, man. He's got oh, some wow. junk. Lots of junk. Like 70, whatever inches of junk. Like it's insane. <laughs> That's it's awesome. insane. <laughs> I'll send you guys after the podcast. I'll send you guys some uh, some pictures of what he looked like the year before. Sure, that'd be awesome. Awesome, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so now you have this this beautiful deer on the wall. Kind of the story's kind of concluding. Um, what are some of the the main? Uh, I wouldn't just say issues or backlash, but like some of the like the proud like some of the moments that uh, that you've encountered since this hunt? Like, has it given you more confidence as a, as a new hunter? Have you, do you think that you've gotten your, you know, a, a more established position between maybe you and your partner when it comes to hunting? Like, has it, have, have you reflected on, 
any outcome since this uh, this harvest of a deer? Absolutely. So I think that's kind of a daily thing um, as a reflection as a hunter. And I just, I, I encountered a lot after, um, after I harvested hobo from, you know, friends maybe being negative about my harvest or strangers or um, friends of my partner. I've heard some really disgusting things said that I would hope that no man who has a daughter would ever have that said to their daughters, but they said some really vulgar things about stuff that should have been done to me in order for me to be allowed to harvest a, a buck of that caliber. And there's, you know, some people say I don't deserve it. And, you know, and then there's also just like your keyboard warrior saying like, Oh, if I had a million dollars, I could hunt on a farm too. And, you know, and you can't please everybody and you're never going to. Um, I think you can tell like through the story here that I know what that deer meant to me. I know what I put into that deer. I damn well, deserved to harvest that deer after the work that I put in. And, and I think the reflection really comes down to, uh, the, in, the internal challenge of just doing my best and having that be okay. Challenge myself to be better every single day and go out there and do my best. And just having that be enough, enough for me, because I'm, you're never going to please anyone ever. You're never going to please everybody all the time. And, you know, you have to let that kind of stuff be water on a duck's back. But I definitely use it as motivation because I am the kind of woman just like keep throwing fire at me because my flame's getting bigger. I love yeah, that mindset. Well yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so certainly a very uh, emotional and just a record year for you last year, obviously. What uh, what are your plans for this coming season? You said you have an elk tag in your pocket, and obviously, um, I'm assuming you're going to be chasing some whitetail again. What uh, what are you thinking? Um, so I haven't slowed down at all. So as soon as I got the draw results for Saskatchewan, I got drawn for um, bull elk and mule deer. Um, you know, and I always kind of joke around when, you know, when they say like, oh, you're ruined, what are you going to do next? And I'm always just like onto the next species. <laughs> I'm kind of holding, I'm kind of holding true to that statement this year. So as soon as I got drawn, I went out the next day, um, got on my, on my app on my phone, started looking up landowners, getting permission, like literally the next day after the draw came out. What app you, some land permission. What I use iHunter. Hey, hey, shout out for iHunter. iHunter. Yeah. I love iHunter. Um, but no, yeah. So I, I jumped on iHunter, started looking at, uh, landowners and locking in permission. And, um, I mean, that's a full nother story already. So I've been scouting elk, I guess, cows since the middle of July. And I was, you know, just starting to see them shed their, the, some of the bulls shed their velvet and kind of start to herd up with the cows. And then it, I have, you know, a couple different herds that I'm looking at. And it was like within three days, I had no elk, like not even just no bull elk. I just had no elk. And I knew that patterns were going to change coming closer to the, to the rut. And I knew that patterns are going to change with harvest with all of the farmers and stuff in the field. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like I've been getting up at two 30 in the morning to get to where I need to be before sunrise to watch these elk. And I've been doing it for a month and a half and now they're gone. <laughs> so I got to oh, start man. all over again and hunting seasons in 15 days. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah that's a tough one yeah but yeah so then i also got a mule deer tag so um you know whenever my daughter doesn't want to drive an hour with mom 
to spot elk until dark and then wake up at 3 a.m. and do it all over again. I just stick around kind of home where I might got drawn for mule deer and go look for some mule deers and um, putting out trail cameras and some baits for some whitetails. And yeah, just trying to, I feel like everything's coming so quick this year. Like, I feel like I'm not prepared because I mean, like I was so honed in on hobo last year. Like I already knew what I was doing in the middle of July. Now I just feel like, ah, what now? Oh, man. I was shooting my bow today, and I was doing a little broadhead tuning, and uh, not exactly flying the, the as I'd like them to, and uh, Jody said to me after a conversation, she's like, is this something you should have been doing like uh, a little, <laughs> like not today, when Elk's opening on Monday? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I probably should have been doing this a week or two ago, but... <laughs> So, that's uh, so funny. That's so funny that you say that because um, there's a guy in Saskatoon. His name is Mike Kincaid, and he owns Kincaid Archery. And um, I got this new this tactical um, hybrid sight for my bow, and it's one that you can dial. So I got the three pins, and they're 20, 30, 40, and I can dial it up 50, 60, 70, and dial it up. Nice. And uh, I can't, I can't get it dialed. I can't figure out past my 40 pin. So I called him and I was like, I am having a hell of a time with this. And I've like moved my pins and moved my site and whatever. And I'm just like, can you meet up with me on Monday? And like our season opens Tuesday for Mule Deer. So <laughs> I'm meeting him at 11 o'clock on Monday to go shoot my bow and get this figured out. But you know, it's kind of like when I go bear hunting in the spring, like I'll take one shot before I leave bear camp. And if that shot's good, I don't shoot again. Yeah. I know, I know my capabilities. If my bow is not, if my bow is not in tune and it's not good, then I'm hooped no matter how many times I shoot that bow. Yeah. So I take that one shot before I leave camp for just a little bit of confidence boost and out I go. You know what? We, uh, we sat down with a, a lady, April Willis. She's, uh, an avid hunter and, uh, also a physiotherapist. And she said the benefits of taking that one shot before you go out go much beyond just the the psychological aspect of having the confidence of going out it actually like activates those nerve receptor pathways and like warms them up so if you do draw back and fire that animal that they're already warmed up ready to go pretty much so oh that's cool yeah little bit of info there for you so you got your your elk and your mule deer um, tags this year. What else are you what, what else are you doing there? You do a little bit of work with Canada Hunts and Canadian Huntress. Uh, yeah. So something that's really cool, uh, like I said, kind of at the beginning, is I got involved with a group to kind of bring more awareness um, and just kind of a place to lean on for other women. So I got involved with a company called Canadian Huntress out of Ontario, <clears throat> and. Um, uh, through them and with them, there's three other women in Ontario uh, that we're going to put a show out on Canada Hunts on Wild TV called Canadian Huntress. Uh, with that, what we're hoping to do is kind of just to give the next generation of youth hunters and women, you know, kind of someone to look to. Like there's Eva Shockey and then, you know, there's some new women faces that are starting to come to the forefront. But um, they all seem to hunt alone as as women. And we want to show them that, you know, uh, you can make your, your tribe and you can hunt together as women and it's okay. And, uh, also just show them how badass chicks can be out there in, in the field. You know, some people, um, don't like the term huntress, you know, uh, some people actually use it as a, a vulgar term to describe a woman who hunts, um, with excessive amount of makeup and low cut shirts and, and short shorts and, 
and that's fine. I mean, there's a derogatory form for just about every word in the English language, so whatever. But, you know, we just want to go out there and hunt our asses off, and we just happen to be women. And, and you know, if we can change what people think about when they hear the term huntress, then that's what we're going to do. We just want to bring great hunts and great television to the next generation and uh, kind of make a path for those women who do want to start hunting in later in life like myself and, and try to make community for those women to learn, to feel safe, to talk about, you know, like their emotions when they're hunting or maybe some of their fears or to ask questions that they might feel stupid to asking a man whose answer might be, well, yeah, don't you know that already? Mostly because they probably don't have the answer themselves, but you know, just kind of <laughs> give them that comfortable spot to be able to talk. Oh man, that's awesome. Um, I feel like you can wear whatever you want out in the field and nobody should care. Cause I know absolutely when elk camp rolls around, me and Sheldon are going to be rocking mustaches and you know, who doesn't like mustaches? <laughs> That's right. Everyone, everyone loves mustaches. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. No, it is whatever, but I just mean like some people are like, oh, they just say like, oh, that huntress, you know? And it's oh, like, yeah, well, if yeah. she feels good hunting in makeup, then let her be. Exactly. <laughs> who cares? Absolutely. Why yeah. does it bother you? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, like you said, you referenced to earlier, a lot of keyboard warriors, et cetera. So um, stay away from those negative comments, of course, but they're always there, it seems, with, with everything that we do outside. But um, trying to... You know, we don't want to take up too much of your time because uh, to schedule this with you, I had to schedule around your elk hunting or sorry, your elk scouting. So I know you're probably itching to get out into the field. So what I'd like to do is maybe just wrap it up by some couple final thoughts. And I think, Chase, you probably have a few that you'd like to dive into. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been kind of just dissecting things as, as we kind of speak, speak about them throughout the, the podcast here. But um, just overall... I think your your journey into the hunting world is just been a phenomenal story and it's not like I said it's not your usual how people go about doing it and it seems like it was a lot of self-taught self-motivated and um persever- maybe perseverance isn't the right 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 word but just like just the huge motivation to to just teach and 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 try and be better every time you go out and every time you do something and that's that takes a lot i know it takes a lot uh to step out that door and shoot the bow every day and and to try and learn and do things different and like sheldon and i said we're still we're still learning we still don't know everything and um i think how just your 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 hunting career here has has been unfolding i think is unbelievable you have a great attitude for um what you're doing in the times we're we're in right now and i think you're just doing a you're a great uh <laughs> oh, ambassador man. for the female hunters exactly <laughs> yes not not only for female hunters but just for everybody like in the outdoor industry like you're a great role Absolutely. model for for people to to follow and just you just have a kick-ass attitude thank you yeah my my final thought is gonna be i think a little bit shorter but i just for the fact that I just got to mention one thing is that I always think about, I've been thinking about this the entire time we've been talking about like how, Oh, we don't know everything yet. And I don't think as a hunter or as an outdoors person that you shouldn't know everything. And I, I related to my job. I'm a lineman. And when I was growing up through or growing up, when I was going through my career as an apprentice, etc., I always found the most knowledgeable linemen were the ones that didn't know everything. And they always kind of mentioned that. It's like, well, man, I don't really know 
but I'll do you one better and I'll find you the answer. And like, that's the big thing when, when I was growing up through my career, I always thought, you know, that's a good way to, to go through life is like, you don't know everything. And even when you don't know, it's okay to just say, I don't know, but I'll help you out and I'll try to find an answer for you. And I think that goes a long way and it goes like hand in hand with what I'm trying to reference with my job and with hunting. And uh, throughout your, your whole conversation today, it's just like, man, it brought back so many memories of, of, you know, my first, my first say hunt or my first kill and, you know, doing the blood trail and all those emotions that you feel and like having, you know, uh, hunting partners with you and, and the family and friends and everything that you've talked about today is just remarkable. And I'm super happy that we touched base, um, and, and, and connected through, of course, Instagram and that we got you on the podcast this afternoon. So thank you very much, Cassandra. Um, if you have any more final thoughts, let's, 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 let's hear them. Um, I like, like you said, I hope, I hope that people can, you know, hear my story and, and give them, um, some encouragement or some enthusiasm to go back there, bring them back to their roots. Like, uh, I put out a couple magazine articles, uh, one with North American whitetail magazine and one with big buck magazine. And I had messages from people of all age ranges from all over the world. Tell me that, um, they had a, a tear in their eye after and it reminded them of like, just like what you said. And it's going to make me cry again. It just that feeling. I just wanted to get it into my story and, and have other people feel the exact same way because man, if that's not, if those aren't the reasons why you hunt and if you're just out there to shoot stuff, like you're in it for the wrong reasons. Cause it has so much more to offer right to the core of who you are, of your being of the soul. And I hope, I hope that I can inspire other people to look look at what they're doing out in the field with their hunts and with their friends and, and kind of reconnect with the root reason of why they wanted to start in the first place. Awesome. Cassandra, if there's uh if people want to check you out or uh, check out your show coming out, um, where can they have a look for it? Uh, yeah. So you can follow me on my Instagram page. It's Sask underscore Artemis. Also you can look up the, Canada Hunts TV page on Instagram. So just at Canada Hunts TV. Um, and there's also stuff on at wild underscore TV as well. Awesome. Oh, and you can also look up, sorry, there's one more uh, at Canadian Huntress as well. There's lots of good content on there of what the brand is doing and um, how to become a part of that. Awesome. We'll toss all those links up in our bio in the description here too. So uh, easy follow for, for people to check them out. Great. Thank you guys so much. Sheldon, right thanks. Anything else, thanks. buddy? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah. Thanks, Cassandra, for coming on. This was uh, like again a, a pleasure. Good luck this fall, um, and we'll be in touch. I hope to uh, get you back on the podcast uh, in the near future. Yeah, you guys. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. You have now punched my podcast tag, so that's marked off my to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> right but hopefully, on. I got a cool story for you guys uh, after this fall. All right on. That'd be perfect. Right on. Well, good luck and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, bye. Thanks for listening, folks. Another great episode. We hope you enjoyed that uh, conversation as much as we did. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool, man. Quite the experience. It's really sweet when you can get an entire story kind of in depth, it's like a conversation around that campfire, kind of the stuff that we always kind of shoot for, but it was great to, uh, to hear it. That's for sure. Um, just to carry on though, thanks everyone again for listening but you know we got to give you guys a huge thanks to uh to anyone that's listened to any prior episodes or, or following along every 
every 10 days we release a podcast. Um, we've got quite a few listeners, quite a few followers and, and all that stuff. And we really appreciate each, each and every one of you. If you're looking to support us in any way possible, um, you can do it as free as commenting or rating us on iTunes or Podbean or Spotify. Um, and if you're looking to maybe get into some hunting gear, we've got some hunting hats and toques available on our store right now. They'll be, we got the blaze orange for, for rifle type hunters. And we also got camel in the toques and the hats. So for anybody that, you know, is duck hunting or archery. And then we got some awesome sweaters. We got those camel, uh, panoramic hoodies. And then we got the tan, um, goose hoodies and then the white goose hoodies for goose hunting or if you want to use them for like coyote hunting or whatever it is but yeah we got a lot of stuff in our store go check it out oh and our buffs we have uh really wicked buffs right now they kind of you can kind of use them as a face mask as well so um i've been using them in my day-to-day and it's really easy to use them when i'm not wearing it or i you know drive whenever i just roll it up on my arm and it's always there with me so I never forget it walking into a store kind of idea. So if you're looking for those, those are in the store as well. And there's actually a sale on them too, isn't it, Chase? Yeah, you can get those. You can pick those up for uh, one for 23, two for 42, or three for 60. And one thing you did forget to mention is our brand new tees that hit the shelves. Uh, we have a red and a dawn colored um, goose logo t-shirts up and they are definitely the comfiest t-shirts i've ever worn in my life and they're pretty cool so check them out and uh just to correct you here for a moment i don't think our toques are up on the store right now but they will be very soon no that's yeah sorry they uh i just got the phone call today that they're done so i'll have them friday so if anybody's wanting them, you well by the time this launches, what's this going to be Thursday? If they'll be probably we can put them on the store, whatever. But shipping won't be for a few few days yet. Yeah. If you guys are interested, drop us a line though, and we'll uh, we'll certainly uh, let you know when they're up and ready to roll. Oh, and if you're going to correct me when I'm wrong, I'm going to correct you when you're wrong. In this episode, no, no, in our last episode, you said that hunting started September 1st for actually when it was August 31st. Boom. Yeah, yeah. I, I told, man, I got those days messed up. And I, uh, <laughs> yeah, a couple whoopsies there, but it's all good. <laughs> yeah. I bet you a few people are listening and are like, um, no. <laughs> but I would, and you're like, right? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. Right on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, guys.